You're listening to Once, episode 217, Nimue Initial Reactions. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Jacqueline. And we just finished watching this episode, Nimue. And Jacqueline, what'd you think of it? I think my brain may have exploded. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if it was exploded with awesomeness or if it kind of just exploded in general. But it's one of those episodes that you're going to have to go and rewatch a couple times oh, yeah. to really get straight. You know, I think I feel the same way because there were those moments that were really awesome. I was thinking, yes, 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 this is so cool. And then there were the other moments that I thought, really? That's where you went with that? (laughs) Right, right. There were a couple moments where I finally just kept asking, I don't understand what is happening right now. But definitely some moments where pieces of the puzzle finally fell into place, really after about five years with this show. So it was nice to see a lot of that backstory and mythology finally come together after so long. Yeah. Now, these are only our initial reactions. We're going to be a bit all over the place and we won't cover everything. That's fine. That's why we have our upcoming full discussion that you can listen to later on in the week. Subscribe at oncepodcast.com if you're not already, but we'll be a bit all over the place with this. One of the things that really stood out to me, and I'm eager to see how Keb tries to reconcile this with the great timeline, is it started out saying a thousand years before the age of Arthur. Okay, I'm fine with that. Perfectly fine there. Yeah, except for the whole millennium, millennia thing that we debated in our recent full discussion episode. But I'm okay with the thousand years. What I didn't like was they said 200 years earlier, earlier, which means 200 years ago from now. And that's when Nimue became the Dark One. But Rumpelstiltskin has been the Dark One for at least 200 years. I had a huge problem with that tonight as well. I was also watching with Josephine and Slurpees from the forums, and we were all very confused about the timeline. I don't know if it was an error that the writers didn't catch. Maybe they meant... 200 years later, as in after that 1,000 years, because Rumpel's been the dark one, like you said, at least 200. The best estimate I think Keb has is closer to 250. Mm-hmm. So it, that actually doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, and there was something else that they said about uh, 500 years ago being the Holy Grail. So it's just all kind of messed up. Yeah, the timeline, it's a lie. It's just... <laughs> give up with it at this point (laughs) sorry keb but if you want to check out the awesome timeline that keb is putting together go over to oncepodcast.com slash timeline and it's also linked in the menu bar at oncepodcast.com if you'd like to check it out i really liked getting to see the origin though 1000 years ago that the power of the dark oneness was here in the holy grail and as soon as i saw it i thought that looks a lot like the dagger It's got the same patterns on it and such. But what I don't like about this is it's not quite the epic story as The Apprentice had told it. The Apprentice said 
a long time ago, the sorcerer battled the darkness and tethered it to a person that could be controlled with the dagger. Right. Merlin didn't battle anyone. I mean, he really just kind of talked to Nimue and Nimue decided to crush the heart. He, quote, battled, unquote, the darkness and the darkness, meaning the darkness in a person. So it was more like a a metaphorical battle. Yeah. And tethering it, I mean, I guess he kind of just created a hilt for the sword and waved his hand and that's created like a tethering spell. I don't, I don't really know, but yeah, I thought it would be a lot more epic. Like he actually battled the darkness and as a way to win against the battle of darkness, he sent it into, put it into a person and then was able to control it the way that the apprentice described it. Well, I thought because we saw Nimue get stabbed and then we kind of went to a different um, timeline. We went to six weeks ago in Camelot and spent some time there. And I thought that when we went back in time to see the the flashback, that Merlin was going to end up battling Vortigan and deciding to take the darkness and put it in Nimue in order to save her. What I didn't expect was that Nimue had sort of double-crossed Merlin and had actually drunk from the Grail already. So I thought it was going to happen a different way. As soon as I saw her with the Grail, I was thinking, yeah, she's going to drink it. Yeah. But, you know, we were all right, at least, that Nimue was the first Dark One. Yeah. A lot of us called that one. Yeah. Yeah. So good on, like, everyone who called that. (laughs) Everyone. (laughs) Although, I have to be fair, I've kind of known for a few weeks because we had some spoilers. But for those of you who didn't, good job. I had seen something somewhere that said we would get to meet the first Dark One. But... I didn't know anything about who that first Dark One would be. And we certainly saw a bunch of names kind of bounce through on the dagger. I'll be going back, getting screenshots, trying to see if there are any names we can recognize other than the ones we already know, Uh, but some other names that might be cool to see names of other Dark Ones. And we also saw a collection of Dark Ones, a lot more Dark Ones than I thought there would be. I was thinking maybe there were six or seven Dark Ones. That looked like more than a dozen, maybe two dozen dark ones. Yeah, that was quite creepy. That final scene where they're all in black hoods and they've got the red glowing eyes and they're watching yeah. Emma. That was creepy. Yeah. Very creepy, actually. I, I liked the creepiness of that. I thought it was a very neat moment because after all, this is that moment where uh, all of the dark ones are there and they're, they're finally potentially getting their freedom so to see them all actually present and whispering and touch the peace, touch the peace, <laughs> I all thought that was great. Yes, I like that they've sort of made these dark ones almost like a parasite that move from host to host. So, you know, you can kind of make the case that as dark ones progress, the newest dark one is going to continually get worse and worse and darker and darker because they have the weight of all of this darkness on them from previous dark ones. You know, so if Emma is the last dark one, which a lot of us have theorized that she will be, you know, she might be the darkest one of all just because she's got so much from the past inside of her. Yeah. And they said something about uh, the person there. There could possibly be someone to wield both light and dark magic in order to help people. And in our chat room while we were watching this live, 
I know some people suggested Henry, maybe it could be Emma, maybe it might be someone else. But it does make me think that this Dark One power won't be completely destroyed, but that someone will be able to wield it for good. Yeah, and I think Henry's a really good guess. There was a deleted scene from back in season four, episode 402, where Rumple was telling Henry that he was the product of light and dark magic and that this was something to keep an eye on because it sort of meant that Henry might be destined for something great. And, you know, at the end of season four, I thought, well, maybe that's just him being the author. But it could be that he's the one to wield both sides of that coin. Exactly. And so he could be the author and the greatest sorcerer and the dark one and the light one and all of these things. And I really think that the series, when the series of Once Upon a Time ends, it will end with Henry writing the end or they lived happily ever after or writing something in the book and closing it and sealing the magic away or something like that. I think that is a great final scene. And I've often thought that the final scene of this show would be something along those lines because it really begins. I mean, the story of Once Upon a Time begins really with Henry getting on that bus and going to find Emma and, you know, trying to explain to her what's going on in this small little town in Maine. So for the final scene to be Henry closing the book and all the stories are finished and everyone got their happily ever after. I think that's a good ending. Yeah. Now, speaking of happily ever after, it takes a hero to bring happily ever after. And you can be a hero to the podcast. We have some great heroes to thank for supporting this episode of the podcast. David Newland, Lisa Slack, Simon Grunden, one of our new heroes, Sarah Cochran, a new upgraded hero, and DJ Firewolf. Thank you very much for your support. We also now have 30 backers on Patreon supporting the podcast, enabling us to do great things with the podcast and try and be a hero to you and a hero with the TV show. If you would like to be a hero for the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. There you can sign up for a regular monthly contribution as little as a dollar or even more than that. Larger amounts, of course, help us better. But you can also shop with our Amazon affiliate link over there. So do your Christmas shopping after you visit our website and click on an Amazon affiliate link. It doesn't cost you anything extra, but it does help support the podcast. It's a great way to get something cool, get some Once Upon a Time swag, or buy those awesome Christmas gifts, whatever they are, for your friends and family. Check out your options for supporting the show over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. It was a little odd to me that Merlin could drink the cup. I think it was because of his gratefulness. Yes, he asked permission, whereas the guy before him just sort of took greedily and gods tend to not enjoy that. (laughs) It does remind me of an account in the Bible where um, the children of Israel were, the people of Israel were, Uh, crying out, complaining that, oh, we've had this manna that's been this miraculous provision by God providing them with this food. And they're complaining about it and they want meat. And God sends meat, quail, a lot of quail. And they're so bloodthirsty and literally bloodthirsty that they start eating the meat right there, not giving thanks at all to God. And then God started uh, striking many of them dead because of that. And it reminded me a little bit of that. And there are other interesting biblical Uh, correlations between this uh, episode and biblical accounts of things. 
And we'll dig more into that maybe in our upcoming full discussion. But yet, when that other guy tried to drink, he just poofed into dust. Exactly like Sir Kay did. Yes. Because he was unworthy. Yeah. But yet, when Nimue drank, nothing like that happened. I thought that was strange as well. Um, I don't know if we're supposed to understand that maybe whatever divine force exists in the enchanted forest maybe it's looking the other way maybe it has left the realm or something i don't know because i thought it was weird that they would allow nimue to drink from the grail with the idea that i mean obviously she was bent on revenge so or i don't know maybe merlin suddenly became the quote-unquote god of the grail because he suddenly made the enchanted forest appear. Yeah. What well, do you think that was the enchanted forest or Camelot? Well, it could just be Camelot. That's what I was thinking. But isn't, I mean, did you notice the entire surrounding that they were running through in the opening scene? It was just completely desert. Right. And according to Adam and Eddie, Camelot is just a short horse trot from the enchanted forest. Oh, yeah, true. So I don't know. I, it to me it was very you know he hath created the garden of eden <laughs> and i was like okay <laughs> he's going to rest now on the 7th day or something <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know i kind of got the impression that everything in that world was a barren wasteland until merlin brought it to life it makes me think a little bit of the chronicles of narnia series and um how it's specifically in the book, The Magician's Nephew, and it explains the creation of Narnia and creation of different worlds. And uh, that uh, always fascinated me as a kid reading about that. And here we have kind of the same thing. So we didn't only see the birth of the Dark One in this episode and the birth of Merlin the Sorcerer, but also the birth of the location where all of these stories take place. I thought it was fascinating, but at the same time, I was kind of confused. And I promised Josephine and Slurpees that I would bring this up. So there was a lot of Christian symbology in this episode, not just like in the story and in the themes, but I mean, literal crosses. And (laughs) I have a master's degree in religion. Um, specializing in early Christendom. And I was very confused as to how they want me to understand that all of this literal Christian motifs are being found in a completely separate universe. You know, Christianity wasn't like born in a bubble. There's a lot of history and context behind it. So how it gets to the enchanted forest is something that kind of leaves me a little baffled. That's true. Yeah, because in a way, and I know someone said this in our chat room earlier, um, in a way they're saying that Jesus existed in the Enchanted Forest in the fairy tale world, and maybe also by connection, Indiana Jones. But uh, (laughs) so are they then, well, their, their whole take on this, we have to remember, their take is not that these stories, these fairy tales are merely fairy tales and, uh, just made up stories. But their take here with Once Upon a Time is that these are actual stories that happen in a parallel world and multiple realms. And now they're lumping in, well, they've Arthurian legend, they've been lumping that in. And uh, 
I think that we'll see them lump in more historical characters into this as part of, I think it's no longer a fairy tale TV show. That's the idea. It's more stories. What are the great stories we know? And now these characters are all interconnected with each other. Right, which makes sense. I just wish that the writers might explore the idea of why our stories that we know here in this realm differ so much from, you know, the quote unquote reality that the Onceverse is presenting us with. So we all know the Snow White and Prince Charming story, except none of us really do because this is how it really happened, according to Once Upon a Time. Yeah. So, you know, we all know Arthurian mythology, but this is how it's really happening. So why is it that the stories we know are so different? Right. And that our stories have existed for a very long time before the <laughs> yeah. story supposedly happened in a parallel universe that has parallel time. Yeah. That's kind of stuff we're not supposed to really think about that much. <laughs> Well, it's either that we aren't supposed to think about it that much or the writers don't think about it that much. Yeah, let's yeah. we'll not get too much into <laughs> which way it is. <laughs> but we would love your feedback for our upcoming full discussion of the episode because we like to hear your thoughts and theories, expand our minds and stuff that you noticed and uh, research that you know, the information that you've read. So please email us. Leave us a voicemail, send us a voice message through the website. All of your options are available at oncepodcast.com. Send us your feedback for our upcoming full discussion. And those full discussions are on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Now, we've got two important changes for the Once Upon a Time TV show coming up. The first one is that this coming Sunday, that would be November 15th, 2015, it will be a two-hour-long episode. So woohoo on that. Lots of great Once Upon a Time in that. But that's followed by a little bit of bad news. On November 22nd, there will be no Once Upon a Time episode. But then we'll be picking up on November 29th. So the podcast schedule will also adjust accordingly for that. Enjoy your week with Thanksgiving if you're in the United States of America. If you're not, then enjoy your week anyway. But we'll be back with the normal schedule of the podcast through until the winter hiatus. So please send us your feedback on this episode and your thoughts and theories about what's going on. I still wonder uh, a thing that hasn't been addressed in this episode, even though this episode was called Nimue and it was all about Nimue, they didn't actually show present day Storybrooke characters going to find Nimue. Yes. Um, because last week, Merlin's voicemail said that the only one who could help the Storybrooke gang was Nimue. Yeah. But now we know that Nimue was the first dark one and that she really wants Emma to forge that sword, which Emma did. So... Yeah. It makes me wonder if that was a trick, if maybe the voicemail is a trick somehow. Hmm. I wonder, well, Nimue is not alive. That That's clear. She is not alive, even though she was the first dark one. She was completely in Emma's head, but a very strong force inside Emma's head, just like all of the other dark ones. And now Emma has the completed sword. We still don't know what happened in 
uh, Camelot that brought everyone back to Storybrooke, but that'll be probably the next couple episodes. So with the sword and the dagger reunited, now what's going to happen? And how does this tie in with, quote, finding Nimue, unquote? Yes. I would really like to know how Emma became the Dark One because she conquered, well, sort of, I guess, conquered in the moment that desire for power that Nimue was tempting her with. But yet we still have her as the Dark One in present day Storybrooke. Everyone's going to find Nimue, but we do not want them to find Nimue because, well, first off, she's dead. And second, she's clearly someone who doesn't have Storybrooke's interest in at heart, I think. Yeah. So there's still a lot of mystery to uncover. Yeah. I get the impression that Rumpelstiltskin was probably the Dark One for the longest amount of time, and that was probably because he held on to the dagger so that he couldn't be controlled and no one could take it and kill him and become the Dark One. Yeah, and I would say Zozo probably was the second longest if he's at the point where he just really wants to die. Right. Yeah, a lot of cool things. And also, I think some tie-ins with this episode even to Lost. Uh, I won't mention those tie-ins, but those people who have watched Lost know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, a very similar kind of story uh, with this, a little bit. So Merlin's name is now on Excalibur? Yeah, that was weird. So he can be <laughs> controlled, and Zelina was able to cast that. So now... That was... <laughs> Yeah, because we had like 15 minutes left of the episode and Zelina tethered Merlin to Excalibur with a wave of her hand. And it was at that point when I started asking, wait, what's happening right now? Yeah, because I was kind of confused about that. But does that mean that if you to kill Merlin, you have to stab him with Excalibur? Does it work like the dagger? Well, originally, that's what. Arthur wanted to do is reunite the dagger with Excalibur so that he could run it through Merlin and kill Merlin. So maybe a lot of us have been thinking that Merlin isn't alive at all anymore in present day. Mm -hmm. So maybe what drives Emma over the edge is that desire to have the dagger and the sword reunited. But in order to do so, she has to kill Merlin. So maybe she kills Merlin Camelot six weeks ago. Maybe, or maybe it was someone else's killing Merlin that caused her to do everything that we see today. Okay. So, so maybe Arthur ends up killing Merlin with Excalibur. Right. Or something horrible happens. But then wouldn't Arthur's name be on Excalibur? Like, I, I guess I'm wondering if it has the same rules as the dagger. I don't think so, because it's, well, then again, Merlin did receive his magic. He wasn't born magical. He's not a magical being. So maybe the his magic could be transferred between people. I don't know. They've really messed with the rules of magic and the, <laughs> the what we expected was the origin story for all of this stuff. And then we still don't know who cast the curse and what heart was used. Right. But now Zelina is loose back in Camelot and has her right. magic. Okay, so I'm not a fan of Zelina. I think probably everyone knows this about me. I really do not enjoy her. But I <laughs> I found her delightful this episode, I have to say, which is a first for me. When when she <laughs> tricked Mary Margaret. 
yeah. I couldn't stop laughing for like five minutes solid. <laughs> that was great. Because, oh gosh, Snow White. <laughs> like, have some common sense, please. Yeah. And we never got to see them have their pregnancy tips talk. Oh, <laughs> what a shame. <laughs> Unless that had already been happening up until that point. But we would like your feedback, not your pregnancy tips, sent to us, email, <laughs> voicemail, send us an audio message through the website. All of your options are over there at the website, oncepodcast.com. That's also where you can go to subscribe to the podcast to receive every episode automatically in your podcast player of choice and on your mobile device. Something else that you could do that would really help us is go to the show notes for this episode, oncepodcast.com slash 217 and share this episode. You can tweet it, you can share it on Facebook, Google Plus, Pinterest, even uh, Reddit, stumble upon all kinds of buttons like that. Please press those buttons, share it out with your friends and family, get other people listening to the podcast as well. That's the best way you can help us. You can also write reviews for us on iTunes, those are really encouraging and help us a little bit as well. But the most important thing for you to do is share the episode with someone else. And send us your theories for our upcoming full discussion that we'll be having on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time over at oncepodcast.com slash live. Please remember that our costume contest will be open for voting very soon. Watch the website for that. We'll be tweeting it out and emailing our listeners and uh, mentioning it in the podcast as well. You'll have about seven days to vote for your favorite costume. It's just a single vote. You don't have to worry about voting every single day. But there are some great costumes that have come in. I'm really looking forward to seeing which one wins the great, fabulous prizes. That will be at oncepodcast.com slash contest when we start that voting. And we'll be sure to mention it in the podcast as well. So make sure that you're following us on Twitter at Once Podcast, and I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. And we'll be hearing from Jeremy and Aaron in our upcoming full discussion episode, and I hope also hearing from you. And until next time, remember, we are proud of you, all of us. And thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be one of them, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support.